Welcome to the Anonymous Podcast. This episode will be a guiding principle study and commentary. The aim is to provide insight to and context of the material within our book, Guiding Principles. This is not a meeting of Narcotics Anonymous. However, there will be some similarities in how the study will be conducted. Each study will have the audio recorded and then published to the Anonymous Podcast. The overall goal is to provide commentary of the text towards reaching those seeking a resource like this. If one person benefits from our efforts, including us, then the participation will be well worth the effort. We'll have the introductions and then we'll jump into the text. Enjoy. Hey, everybody. Uh, this is episode 28 of the Guiding Principles, the Spirit of Our Traditions study. And we are still in tradition three and tradition three states that the only requirement for membership is the desire to stop using. We are on page 47 and we're about halfway down the page. And, uh, but before we get started, we're gonna do our introductions. Uh, I'm Michelle C. I'm from Bend, Oregon. Uh, my clean date is 8-13-92 and my home group is the Early Risers, which is an online meeting. Carl. I'm Carl Manatic. Uh, clean date January 6, 2015. I attend meetings all around New Orleans, and my home group is Open Mind. Thanks, Carl. Donna? Hey, everybody. My name is Donna. I'm an addict in Eugene, Oregon. I celebrate my clean date on Thanksgiving. Uh, first year was 1985. And uh, my home group is uh, Solutions for Living here in Eugene. I attend there and online. Come see us. Thanks, Donna. Alberto. Hey, I'm Alberto and I'm an addict. My clean date is 10-30-16. I'm in Fort Worth, Texas, attending meetings in the Fort Worth area. Thanks, Alberto. Melissa. Hi, everyone. My name is Melissa and I'm an addict. My clean date is May 21st, 2015. And I attend meetings in the Slidell and New Orleans areas. My home groups are Freedom to Change and Spiritual Ninjas. And I'm grateful to be a part of tonight. Thanks, Alita. Douglas. Hey, Omatic. Name's Douglas. I got clean March 12th, 2000 in Southwestern PA. Um, I, uh, I live in the Raleigh, North Carolina in the Fairmont, West Virginia um, area now. But thanks. Thanks, Douglas. Hey, Brooke. Hi, my name's Brooke. Um, I'm an addict. I live in Colorado. I attend meetings in the Denver area and online. My home group is Just Can't Miss It. And my clean date is 6-16-1997. Awesome. Thanks, Brooke. And our guest this week is Zuri. Hi, I'm Zuri and I'm an addict. I'm from, I got clean in Tijuana, Mexico, area Baja Costa of Narcotics Anonymous. My home group is in Coronado, California. It's called the Cold Turkey Meeting of Narcotics Anonymous. And I got clean on, clean on December 5th of 2007. Awesome. All right, so we will get started this uh, on this episode, um, page 47 again, and we're gonna start with the paragraph that starts with each of us. Melissa, you wanna kick us off? Oh, I'd love to. Each of us has a part to play in making any groups welcoming to everyone. Doing so requires checking our reservation about the recovery of others. A newcomer may seem too young or too old or too beaten down or not having lost enough. 
They may have done the wrong drug or not used like we did. We may still be, they may still be on parole or take medication we have opinions about. They may be criminals. They may be clergy or law enforcement. They may look at us in a way that gives us the creeps. Addicts may be clean a long time and still not be socially skilled or socially acceptable. They may work their program in a way that seems different or even threatening to us. There is no model of the recovering addict, no profile of the addict who suffers, and no condition on membership besides desire, which is between the addict and their higher power. The miracle of recovery is available to us all, even after we've been clean a long time. Just as we see the miracle of addicts getting clean, we see the miracle of clean addicts getting better, sometimes after many years. Allowing each other to change after we've known each other a long time takes faith, compassion, and open-mindedness. Each of us is better at reaching out sometimes and in some ways than others. It's good there are so many of us. People who come in and out are easier for some of us to accept than those steadily attending while on drug replacement therapy Others of us are exceptionally good at reaching out to the newcomer, but have no patience for those who seek help elsewhere as well as in NA. Sometimes a member hurts us directly or indirectly in the course of a relapse, or they may be locked in a behavior or pattern for which we simply cannot feel compassion. We reach out where we can and make an effort to increase our compassion for those who don't match our expectations or whose recovery doesn't look like our own. Yeah, I have a lot of this highlighted. Um, so I'll just hit on a few points. Um, so being welcoming to everyone can definitely be challenging. Um, the part that stuck out to me in that block was doing so requires checking our reservations about the recovery of others, because um, there are certain people that I'll, you know, I won't necessarily want to associate with because I don't agree with their behaviors or um, I feel threatened by them, like people that gossip, like I don't even like talk to them because I feel like it's dangerous for my recovery, you know. Um, but I mean, it is important at, at the same time, I do feel like it's important to include everyone. So I won't like, I guess you could say I'll be civil. You know, I won't be rude or anything like that because, like, I do want them to stay clean. Like, even when I have differences with somebody coming in the rooms, whether they don't look the same or they don't act the same or hold the same principles that I do, like, I still have a responsibility to welcome, like, the addict coming in, you know, or the one that, you know, has been around a while that starts showing character and, like I said in here, behavior patterns that I don't necessarily agree with. Like, you know, we all have a seat in here. So, I, I like that it really points that out. Um, so something that really struck me, and I kind of have like a current personal story with it, is where it says there is no model of the recovering addict, no profile of that addict who suffers, and no condition on membership besides desire, which is between the addict and the higher power. So I have um, a sponsee that um, has like very serious health conditions like cannot often leave the house, you know, and she's so young, like just a little older than me, really. And um, to have these health conditions, like I've met people in their 60s that are like way more healthy. I've never met anybody with health conditions like hers, really. 
And um, so one, it is challenging to sponsor her and not in a way that, you know, she's got years clean, you know, and um, it's not in a way that it's like a pain or anything, but it actually talks about it in the living clean. Um, I think in the illness section, it talks about a creative action of the spirit can be required, you know. Um, you know, so lately she's been going through some things and it's just came up, um, well, still going through some things, right? Because it's constant for her. And so it's the reason I say it's hard is because it's like, I'm used to sponsoring newcomers for one. Um, I've had her since she was a newcomer, but it's like, I'm like meetings, step work, call me, you know, it's like all these like constant things. And that is what we're taught in Narcotics Anonymous. But um, she physically cannot do all that, you know? And um, that is really, it's challenging. And it's really taught me so much about being a sponsor, but this doesn't just relate to sponsorship. This could just be another addict in the room, you know? And um, yeah, I've just learned so much from that relationship and really just how to be there for somebody. And, you know, it's pretty crazy because she has like fibromyalgia, which is one of the things she has. And like, it's like, const it's like current pain and burning and stuff. And she refuses to take medication. So like, her desire is evident, you know, and it's apparent, like I said, she's been clean for years. And so it's not my job. I'm not the NA police. It's not my job to say you have to do it this way, you know, um, but it, it, it's a weird thing because I also feel like it's hard not to, you know, because I just love her so much. And, you know, it's, uh, it's just a challenge, right? And so like, it's hard to do that with people coming in the rooms or people that, you know, all they were doing all these things and now they're not. And it's like, how do, where's a good, like how, what's a good way to talk to somebody about the program without judging them. And um, I really liked how it said that it's good. There are so many of us because that has been true for me. You know, a lot of people over the years have like gone back out, you know, and I've been close to some of them, you know, and I'm just grateful that new people keep coming in, man. Cause it, it really isn't a joke when they say, um, like we can only keep what we have by giving it away and like that like to reach out to the newcomers to like those are the ones that like I don't know they're always here <laughs> you know like there's always more newcomers you know but there might not always be people in the meeting with you that you got clean with you know and um so I found that to be pretty powerful as well and that's all I got thanks thanks Melissa Carl yeah, I think it hits on some really important information that I think a lot of times I see people forgetting in NA, which is the point is to, you know, stay alive and help people stay alive. And that's like that piece of welcoming others and like also the part where it says, even if we've been clean a long time, still not be socially skilled you know, are socially acceptable. And, you know, I went to the convention this weekend and there was a few people that had these shirts that said Suboxone, just diet heroin. And they were wearing it around the convention, you know? And it's like, there's these moments where I'm like, imagine a newcomer who's never heard of NA is so excited to finally be a part of walks into a meeting and sees this person wearing a shirt and so like basically making fun of them or like 
even if everybody has their own opinions, right? And, and you know, I have experience with it, you know, and I trust me, I was outspoken about it when I was like my first year or so clean because I had tried it in the past and like I was an asshole about it. And, but as time has gone on, I see like how detrimental it is to have an opinion on someone else's recovery. You know, and, and as I started to progress, I started to make that clear to people when I saw them doing stuff like that and even talk to the people at the convention, like, dude, imagine what it would feel like, you know what I mean? And, and it's, it's funny because I, then I had an experience recently. So I, this guy that helped me get clean and he really had some great insight. He's like a peer support specialist and he really helped me navigate some waters about medication. I was getting off certain medications when I got clean and he was so helpful in that area. And, you know, he had about seven or eight years clean at the time. And then about two years ago, three years ago, I guess it was probably, yeah, it's even more than that now because it was pre like pandemic, but it, I guess it was about four years ago now. He just stopped coming to NA and he completely just cut off. And I kind of had some ideas, you know, and, and finally we've been, we've kept somewhat in touch over the years, you know, just like very short conversations. Hey man, I text him, how you doing? And um, finally he opened up to me a couple of days ago and was like, yeah, bro, I just, you know, I was trying out some new psych meds and I had shared it with somebody and they were like, well, fuck it. You're not clean any fucking more. And like, blah, 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 blah. And um, he just stopped coming to NA completely, you know, and just hearing the progression of how isolated alone he felt like, I mean, is it our job to say really shit about anybody else's recovery to make them feel that way? I mean, and I guess wrapping it all back into the point is like the goal is to stay alive, is to help people stay alive. You know, and I think that's the piece sometimes that I feel like we forget, you know, we get so wrapped up in it, you know, and, and as I kind of ventured into some of those professions and working with people, I realized that recovery is fucking huge. Like, it's not just NA, you know, it's not just AA, it's not just like there's recovery from bipolar, recovery from schizophrenia, there's recovery from all, you know, eating disorders, there's recovery from all these things. and um you know, the goal is for us to be there for each other, you know, and to love each other back into whatever that may look like. Because for me, having somebody, you know, like I was navigating waters and like, I wanted to do these things. I wanted to be a better person. And like, if I would have had somebody shutting me down and telling me, you know, fuck that, you're not fucking claim. I thought it would not make me feel welcome to be where I'm at now. Um, you know, they loved me along the way and helped me kind of achieve um the success i've had in recovery so I'm, I'm really grateful for those people you know that really were there for me and made me feel welcome and um so yeah thanks thanks carl great comments alberto yeah thank you carl for sharing that because like it brought up a little a memory um a, an experience that i had while in the rooms um I was at a, I was at my home group when I was living in New Orleans, Snurp, right? Um, got a shout out to Snurp. And I remember hearing my sponsor talk about an addict who comes in and that's in the drug replacement program. And when he said, welcome home, like I felt that in my spirit that he was genuine about that. 
like damn like this like it took me years later to realize like how true and how big his passion was for this program so even to somebody who was on some other drug that may be keeping them off from what they were using that was killing them how still inviting and loving he was at that meeting right and like it's beautiful because like that same feeling that I experienced with him at that meeting, like I got to experience last Saturday um, when I heard Michelle speak on a Zoom meeting when she's in Oregon and I'm in Fort Worth, Texas. Like that's the beautiful of this program that it is spiritual, right? That I can identify today that those two experiences are one and the same because of this program. Um, <laughs> and so, Carl, you brought that out it wasn't even what I was going to say so I just had to you know what it's fresh um so thank you for that um but I love I love this sentence on the first paragraph where it talks about that the miracle of recovery is available to us all even even after they after we've been clean for a long time right because like it's funny man like how how I see myself today compared to when I first came in it's like, don't get me wrong, it's only been five years, but I've seen a lot of growth in five years. I still got ways to go and I can still exceed that and all that. Um, but it just gives me like, I don't know, I guess the hope of like, wow, like this program really does work because when the COVID was happening and I was moving from, I think I was outside of Houston, then I went to Pensacola, Florida. And then when I came to Texas, like meetings were still kind of dwindling down and I still felt like an outsider, not because like I didn't feel like I fit in, was because like I kind of understand a little bit of what recovery has done in my life, right? Like what it has invited um, internally. And so like when I share about these things at a meeting, sometimes I feel like I'm sharing about a fairy tale because like I see other people, you know, wanting to live their lives the way they want to. And I'm over here like, man, I want to sleep with the newcomer, but I'm not, right? Or I want to take that job and make all that money, but I'm not. Like, I want to go make that stupid decision, but I'm not. And I'm speaking for myself. Like, I want to do some things, but I choose not to. And then when I share these things at a meeting, and, and uh, my experience has been lately in the past couple of years is that sometimes I feel like a minority in the meeting when I share these things. And I feel very lonely. And what it did is that I started regressing back. Like, I'm not going to share about this anymore. But this year, I kind of found out that I was like, you know what? This is my reality. And whether it's a fairy tale to anybody else, that's fine. I'm still experiencing the gifts of this program. And it says that it is available to us all. And like that just hits me really close to home because like there's nothing else that I've ever done in my life that has ever granted me anything that's close to this. Um, a life without drugs, who knew that that this would be what I would get um, when I actually apply a program. So that's all I got for that one. Thanks, Alberta. Brooke? Thanks, everybody. Um, so, <clears throat> excuse me, first of all, this is not good. Um, I really, I really um, love this paragraph because it lists off some of the stuff that I wouldn't even think of, you know, or <clears throat> that we don't say much about, like, even if they creep you out, <laughs> even if you feel like the way they work their program threatens you, you know, I mean, I recognize all of those things. Um, and one of the things I do like to tell my sponsees is, um, even if somebody's a member of this program, you don't have to hug them. That's not allowing someone to be in a meeting isn't the same as um, keeping yourself safe if you're not comfortable with that. Um, but at the same time, 
you can't kick people out of the meetings because you think that they um, are not safe or whatever. That's not, um, if you feel unsafe going to a meeting, if I feel unsafe going to a meeting, I take a friend, end of story, you know? Um, so anyway, but the other thing I really, really wanted to read, I wanted to quote out of the basic text. This is my, this really sums up the tradition three for me. Um, and whenever people talk about it, this is exactly what I remember. We feel that the ideal state for our fellowship exists when addicts can come freely and open, openly to an NA meeting whenever and wherever they choose and leave just as freely. I mean, I just remember that, like, yeah. Because uh, the ones that I really, I don't see a lot of people um, necessarily picking on like newcomers or anything like that. It's a lot of personalities is what it is. Um, that's, that's what I see a lot of um, as we stay, uh, as we stay clean and the road narrows as the person, um, we seem to think that our shit doesn't stink and that suddenly that guy across the, the table is being an asshole and I get to comment on that. And um, the truth is, is that if you keep coming back long enough, you too will be the asshole. <laughs> Fortunately, <laughs> there's a, there are days when I'm not the asshole, you know? And so that's, I mean, and that's kind of how it is with everybody. So um, just remembering that is, is important. And there really isn't long-term recovery is, is amazing because you get to see people change and grow and go through periods that are very, very hard on the fellowship <laughs> um, and then come back with an amazing uh, strength and um, fantastic recovery. So that's all I have. Thanks, Brooke. Just gonna add one thing. Um, you know, I liked in the very beginning it, where it talked about those things like newcomers may seem too young, too old, too beaten down or not having lost enough. and you know, my personal experience was when I first came into 12-step meetings, because I was 19 years old, those were the things that I heard, right? I was a high-bottom addict. That was how I got labeled. I was, you know, people would say things like, oh, they drank more than I'd spilled, you know, and, and different things like that to me um, that, you know, I think that luckily I'm a stubborn human being. And so when, when I want something, and my ego gets involved, it's that I'll show you, right? And, and I've heard so many stories of people like that over the years who, you know, luckily there, there are those of us who have that I'll show you attitude that stick and stay. Um, but, but it did affect me and it did add to that voice in my head that would make me question whether or not I belonged here. Even though I had the desire to be here, I would question that. And, and luckily I was able to go to a place where I hadn't, I, I found my own answer to that question. Um, but, you know, I try and be really, because that happened to me, I try and be really conscious and, and I can find myself like initially when something new pops up, whether it's a new, you know, controversial, whatever the new controversial thing is of the year, right? as that thing pops up, I can find myself initially taking a stand, a personal, having a personal opinion and taking a stand and wanting to, to protect what I believe is the right thing. And, and then, you know, as it, it talked about at the end of the, the what we read is, um, we make an effort to increase our compassion for those who don't match our expectations or whose recovery doesn't look like our own. And, 
And honestly, the longer that I've stayed clean, and really as COVID hit, this became even more, I became even more um, connected to this, of increasing my compassion that just because I think my way is the best way, <laughs> doesn't mean that you think my way is the best way and your way may be working for you. Um, and that I can also with compassion from one addict to another, sit with somebody and share my concerns and share my, you know, my love for them and wanting them to stay clean and come from that place rather than a place of judgment. And, and what they choose to do with that information is up to them. Um, but yeah, anyway, um, I think that's all I have. Douglas, you want to read that final paragraph for us before we get into questions? Yeah, thanks, Michelle. All right, folks, uh, we find a home in NA, and then we find a home inside that home. Within the wide, weird, colorful world of NA membership, we find our tribe. If something changes, a breakup, a move, a death, and that group is no longer the center of our recovering life, we expand our horizons and our network. We find ways to give back, to make sure that our fellowship is always growing, and we're always growing too. Our fellowship keeps us alive and free, and the work we do uh, to help it grow ensures that there will continue to be members and meetings here when we need them. Um, so my comments for this, um, definitely, I like that term. We find our tribe. Um, I found mine in different seasons, like the landscape of my friends uh, within the program have, have changed like different, different um, seasons of my life. I know when, when uh, my wife at the time, when we started having kids, we had two boys. Um, it was like almost immediately our landscape of friends kind of changed with that whole thing. And, and that's been true for me. Um, I've been able to find my tribe, uh, no matter what season of recovery that that I find myself in. Um, yeah, I was I was thinking about this. You know, I've been I've been hurt. You know, by people who go out and use. Um, I think that's always like a good good place for me to to reflect and and see how many people that I hurt while I was using, and still when I'm acting out, like when defects of character control my decision making I'm still capable of hurting those close to me uh, now um, I think the other the other comment that I'll make would be uh, something that maybe what was shared earlier about um, it's taken me a long time to realize that my my delivery of the message that I carry is really important and I didn't think it was for a really long time I just thought you know I could like how I got it, you know, there was like a lot of screaming and, <clears throat> you know, chairs thrown and stuff like that, you know, in meetings. And it was just the atmosphere there. And it was kind of cool, man. You know, at the time I was like, I didn't know, I just figured like, this is how everyone gets down, you know, here. And, um, but I think it's, I think it's really important. You know, what Carl brought up was, uh, you know, the shirts that those folk were wearing or something like this, you know, and, and, uh, I, I don't know if I necessarily agree with like, it's not my place to say anything about, um, you know, if somebody's not clean, you know, or something like this, because I think if I can lovingly bring it up and that's where the change for me has happened over the years, if I can lovingly bring it up, me getting clean, I didn't know, man. I just didn't know. I didn't know what I could take or what I didn't, you know, what I couldn't take. I didn't, you know, I just didn't understand that. and. Um, since then, like I've learned and basic text is, is, is super clear, like, hey, the first part of the message is this. It's like we we stop using drugs. 
then it's like comma. You know, we stop, you know, that that's any of us, man. We stop using drugs, you know, lose the desire to use, you know, and, and uh, find a new way to live there. But, but um, so I think that's become really clear for me, you know, really clear for me um, because my question would be this and I'll, and I'll go ahead and pass after this, Michelle, but my, my question would be this, like if, I, if I'm not, if we don't have folk in NA who say, hey, look, the message is very clear. Like we treat our addiction, you know, not, I'm not talking about like, you know, whatever else that you, you know, you have, we treat our addiction with complete abstinence and 12 step work. That's, that's how we, that's how we get down in NA. If somebody's not doing that, I mean, I think we're in, I think we're in, we're in rocky ground as a fellowship. You know, if we don't have folks saying, hold on, wait, we treat our addiction with complete abstinence and 12 step work, you know, and, and, and here's, here's the path of recovery. Um, I've been wrong many times, you know, screaming and doing stuff like that for sure. You know, and I, and I've learned that the, the delivery, man, like, my, you know, Paul sponsors me now we, we talk sometimes, you know, talk about, Hey, you know, we don't have to use a, a, not like a machete, but like a big hammer when a scalpel will work, you know, and it's, and it's true, man. Like I, you know, so, so I think those are going to be my comments. I'll pass. Thanks. Thanks, Douglas. Hey, Carl. Yeah, I like this part where it touches on um, expanding our horizons and our network, you know, and it, it made me think of early recovery. I was in a relationship and like we were friends, we had a whole friend group, you know, and um, of course, once the breakup happened, like I wasn't going to that meeting anymore and it was super uncomfortable and it was always drama if I went there and you know it was pretty chaotic but I, I loved what happened next because you know I, I started to not go to any meeting with the, basically within an hour you know and I would drive hours and get a hotel room and then go to meetings in different areas you know and it, it's I was talking to someone last night because he's had a similar experience with an an ex ending up with a close friend. And I told him, I said, dude, honestly, that, that experience taught me that one of the greatest lessons I've ever learned, which is like, sometimes there's such a silver lining. I mean, it's like through that breakup gave me such a huge, like much greater horizons and a much greater network. You know, and I didn't I didn't realize it at the time that that's what happened, but it also allowed me to learn about building relationships and um, having healthier relationships and having no drama in my life and no chaos in my life. And um, so, yeah, I'm just so I'm so grateful. I don't know. I just wanted to share that because I felt like it really brought that up in me. And um, so if anyone's struggling with that and feels like it's the end of the road. <laughs> sometimes the greatest gifts come from uh it says it you know there's actually in the living clean it says that it, it talks about uh some of the greatest gifts come wrapped you know not like we want them to look so thanks thanks carl those are some great comments you know I'll, I'll tag on to that just to say i got clean in the bay area and you know in the bay area there were so many meetings that like if something like that happened a breakup or whatever you could like change zip codes and have all these other meetings but like not all areas have that available. I live in a small area now. Bend is so small that like whenever somebody breaks up, like the whole fellowship knows and like, you know, so it is, 
it, it can be challenging, right? Depending on the size of your area. Like you talked about having to drive an hour to go to find, you know, to find meetings and, and, you know, gratefully you were willing to, to do that for your recovery. And now we have Zoom, obviously it's like ever expansive now, but you know, that's, that can be such a challenging thing when, when we go through those ebbs and flows and, and with long-term recovery, I think most of us have, have had those times where we've needed to expand our network. So great, great thoughts. Zuri. Yeah. Uh, I just wanted to um, comment on the part precisely this one. Oh, something changes, a breakup, a move or a death. You know, I think that's very important at our meetings when we ask if somebody's here from out of town or is new to the meeting, you know, because people have, somebody could have a lot of clean time, but change to a new city and it feels like you're new. Um, or we got a newcomer precisely doing that, you know, like a geographical from a relationship and looking for a new area or new places. And, you know, we got to be welcoming. And, and we can also tell them like, you know what? You don't have to use over any of yours because sometimes I guess uh, the excuse sounds like if it's good enough, uh, a breakup or a change or a death. Um, you know, I, I will just touch up on death real quick because I have heard from many of my sponsees on that first, I think it's the first step. Uh, is there anything that you think that you cannot get over clean? And it normally is the death of my mom, my dad, uh, my one of my sons. I, um, I think I have a different mindset over that because when my sponsor passed away, before he passed away, the last time he shared, he said that when he went to jail at 10 years clean, uh, his sponsors relapsed under him going to jail. And he said, that's bullshit. I went to jail. You're still free. Why are you using over something I did? So the message that I got, he said, that I got from that is one day I'm not, he was already sick. So one day I will not be here. You better not use under my name. Because see, today I, I find that disrespectful and I, I see that we lose a lot of members over grief. So for me, what I did with this grief was like, um, my commitment to my sponsor pa passing was, I promise I'm gonna make you smile and do everything you taught me how to do and thrive on my life and do the best that I can at everything. So I just wanted to jump on that because sometimes they don't, I don't hear it being talked about, about death and grief and that we don't have to use over it, you know, and um, those kind of things. So thank you. Thanks, Ari. Melissa. Yeah, thanks. Um, I just wanted to touch on the um, expanding our horizons and our network. So like when I first got clean, like I was going everywhere, like anything anybody was doing, I was going like driving like a bat out of hell too. But <laughs> anyway, and but and like so that what happened is I got like a really big network, right? And um, I know it's amazing. It's been very fulfilling. But like, you know, here it talks about a breakup, a move, a death. Well, through COVID, um, what happened for me is like, yes, I did some Zoom, right? I actually had like a little, um, it works how and why study group we met every day. And I was like working active duty and just all this stuff. So, and like I hit Zoom meetings and this and that, but when it came, came to the in-person meetings, like what I did is I just got locked into meetings. 
locked in, right? And then it's like, well, no. And I started making other excuses as things started to open up. Well, I got, you know, I got this homework I got to do. I got to, you know, I work today. Like this, the excuses were so trivial. And um, so I've actually been, again, rebuilding that network, like getting out of, you know, because like it says on a reading, like attend various groups. And so through COVID, like I stopped attending various groups, you know, what, what and it, it started because stuff was shut down, right? I didn't know what was open, this and that, but I got into this pattern of just being stuck, really, and then not, not making the effort to get back out there. And so lately, I've actually been going to a couple different meetings a week that I don't normally go to, and uh, it's been really good for me. And so like, I'm actually in that phase, like with like six years clean, like it's expanding my horizon and my network all over again. So it doesn't necessarily have to be like a breakup or move or death. It can just be like life event, you know? Um, but yeah, so that's actually where I'm at right now. So thanks. Thanks, Melissa. I was gonna circle back for a minute uh, to Douglas, what you were talking about around the, the complete abstinence and you know, one of the things I struggle with sometimes is that I, I definitely have that, you know, that place of judgment that comes up that, that I kind of feel the same. Like that's, that's what I was told when I got here. Right. But, but where I struggle is like, I'm not a doctor. Right. And so I would hate to like have an expectation of somebody that they stop taking something because our program says complete abstinence. And then something would happen to them. Like I, I, um, so I, I try and come from a place of like, this has been my experience and this has been my, my personal choice and you should talk to your doctor, <laughs> you know? Um, and then I also have personal boundaries around what I'm, how, if I'm willing to work in a sponsorship relationship with that person and what I'm willing to do from that perspective. And I think that that, that there's so many layers now, right? Like, I mean, for, for years when addicts come into the rooms, there weren't all these, you know, I mean, there was always, I mean, I, methadone kind of goes back a long way, but outside of methadone, there weren't all these other layers of, of options of things that people can do like there are today. And, and I just think that we have this more complex scenario today that addicts coming in today, newcomers coming in today, have this whole other complex series of things. And I'm so, I, personally, I'm grateful that I got clean in the 90s when it was like, get clean, go to a meeting, like this is your option. Like there wasn't all these like state funded programs and all this stuff, it was like, go to NA. And that was what I did. I showed up in NA and I just started working. I called a hotline, I came to NA and I started working steps. That was it. And like, you can get clean that way, people. I just wanna make sure people know. You don't have to go to treatment. You don't have to see a doctor. Like you can pick up the hotline or just show up at a meeting and get clean and stay clean, right? Like this program, the, the book, the, you know, the basic text is like kind of all you need also, in my opinion. Um, and so, but see, there's my opinion again, right? Um, so I don't know. I mean, I think it's such a great, it's such a great conversation and it's a needed conversation today, right? Because so many of our members are fed into Narcotics Anonymous now through programs, through treatment, 
through doctors, right? Um, that that's, that's where the feed is coming in now, where it used to just pe be people coming in out of desperation and, and like the last hope. So now there's these other feeds that are coming in. So I don't know, I think it's such a great, great conversation to have. And then again, how can I have compassion? So, um, Brooke. Yeah, I just, uh, I didn't want to gloss over what Douglas was talking about either. Um, I don't feel like just because we um, anybody can be a member of this program doesn't mean we don't talk to them about stuff. I mean, whatever it is. I mean, that's kind of how um, I just remember a lady um, coming in one time and, and she'd been clean a really long time. And she's like, recovery doesn't mean you get to bury your bullshit in my backyard. Um, and that's kind of it. Like we are, I don't know what I talked about. We are each other's eyes and ears. And, you know, um, I, I don't need to be all up in somebody's business, but I remember just not that long ago, we were in a, a home group and um, this guy was talking about how he almost didn't make it here to our home group to pick up his nine month tag because he had a bottle. I mean, he's like, I picked up the bottle first, um, but I didn't open it. I came to this meeting kind of thing. And um, which I thought was amazing. Um, and we're all like, yeah, good job. And then the guy next to me goes, where's the bottle? You know, like I didn't, it didn't even occur to me. And he's like, it's in my car, <laughs> you know? And that's the kind of stuff where it's just like, um, I was so happy we were in a group and that he caught it because it, it didn't even occur to me that he still had the bottle, but of course he did, you know? Um, and so like, there's that kind of stuff where it's just like, uh, we talked a lot in the second tradition about, um, the group conscience and how it, it even happens in the meetings. And, and that's the way I feel about the third tradition too, is that it, it's about a group and it happens in meetings, even though we're about to answer a bunch of questions about for the members. <laughs> uh, it really works better when it's all about, um, when it's about us working um, with that common goal of, of carrying the message to that if two still suffers, that's all I have to say. Thanks Brooke. Any other comments? All right. So we are moving into questions for the members. Um, and the questions below offer a way to begin or continue the process of writing reflection and discussion of this tradition. So uh, Donna, you wanna kick off with that first one? Sure. What brought me to make the decision to be a member of NA? What does the desire to stop using mean for me in my recovery today? Do I want what NA has to offer? So uh, you guys all know, everybody out there in Zoom land knows that I, you know I didn't stay clean my first year around the program. I just kept coming back. And um, the thing, no. Sorry, Kitty just took off with my yard. <laughs> no, Kitty. Um, the thing that uh, kept me coming back was that people kept welcoming me back, right? And uh, the desire to stop using came slowly. I was tired of the consequences of it, but I, there were things I wasn't willing to let go of. And those things kept leading me back to getting loaded over and over again. Um, so, um, um, so it was that welcoming 
the welcoming that anybody that wanted to be a member could be in a member. The other thing that really happened for me is I was staying around and I was seeing people's lives change. I was seeing people's things getting better for people. You know, I was seeing people who were acting pretty sketchy, still not using, right? And, um, and so I started to believe that maybe I could have that too. And um, so that's what it was for me. And then there was this one meeting I just kept going to over and over again. And they wanted me to help and they wanted me to do things and they wanted me to be there. And my kids were welcome, you know? So really it was the welcome of Narcotics Anonymous. Um, what does the desire to stop using mean for me in my recovery today? Desire to stop using is the very first basic thing. At 36 years clean, I still have a desire to stop, to not use, um, but there is such a huge difference between being abstinent and being clean. There's a difference between being clean and being in recovery. You know, one of the things I'm going to say about the earlier discussion was that I didn't get clean to give up my brain to a fellowship or to a dogma or to a anything, right? I got to learn what was important to me and what I think, not just what Narcotics Anonymous thinks or what you guys think or what, you know, what it says in any place, you know, I get to decide. I get to decide what that means for me. And so uh, learning about that compassion just means really accepting people where they are. It doesn't mean I have to approve. It doesn't mean I have to agree. It doesn't mean I have to welcome them into my home or into my personal life. It doesn't mean I have to hug them. It doesn't mean any of that. It means, uh, you know, just uh, remembering and understanding what it's like to struggle. You know, I had the most wonderful conversation with somebody the other day who's 46 years clean and deciding to make a change in his life to get something different so that he can he, to do something different so he can get something different, you know, so, uh, you know, so at this, you know, stage in the game, I know that I still can um, have more recovery. My sponsor is celebrating 42 years clean yesterday. Alice O, shout out to Alice O. She is amazing. She still keeps trying to change and do things different, right? Do I want what NA has to offer? You know what? The biggest thing that NA has to offer me today is the ability to still help the struggling addict to get and stay clean. You know, as a member, as a group, it is the thing that fills my heart up when I go to a meeting. Now, sometimes I just need you guys and I just need you to listen to me and I just need you to love me, you know, but, but being in recovery and be part of, that's the deal, right? Because there's nothing better than coming into a meeting and hearing somebody that truly has the desire to stop using and is willing to do whatever it takes to not get loaded. There is nothing better, in my opinion, right? So... That's enough out of me, guys. Thanks, Donna. Carl. Yeah, I just wanted to, I guess, talk about that second question, which was, uh, what does the desire to stop using mean for me in my recovery today? And I know we've had some discussions in the past, and like it was kind of taught to me, 
is using changes its definition over time. You know, and, and that's like, at first, of course, it's using drugs, you know, and then it's using relationships and then it's using shopping or food or porn or whatever it may be. Or, and then a, I think the biggest piece, like where it's at now is like really, um, I'm in a seventh step again. And it really like, I don't know, it always seems to shine the light on using defects instead of principles, you know? So I think that that's, I mean, honest to God, that's what's kept me, you know what I mean? Because I, I realized that my mind, my ego, all these things kind of keep me trapped and always wanting me to use more things instead of um, just accepting like I'm okay. So that's all, thanks. Thanks, Carl. Hey, Alberto, you wanna read the second question? Yeah, so question number two. What was it like for me when I came to my first meetings? What are some of the things that I experienced that helped me choose to become a member? And what can I do to help the newcomer make that choice for themselves? Um, so that that first question really brings a lot of light for me. Because um, honestly, when I first, my first, my first meeting, honestly, I didn't know what I was walking into. I mean, coming from my background, I didn't know people got clean. I didn't know there was such thing as functioning addicts or um, clean addicts. Like for me, um, an addict was, was just scum. Someone that was homeless, someone that smoked specifically crack. Um, it was someone of color. Like that's where I was when I first walked into a meeting. And then I see none of those things at a meeting. I see people dressed, laughing. Some people needed to comb their hair, but come to find out they had some really good acceptance about themselves that they were okay with not wanting to comb their hair, right? Um, shout out to Mike S, 20 something years still clean, I believe, you know, I thought he was a bum. No, um, great vocabulary too, right? Um, so like, that was my, that was my idea of a meeting, like, or my first experience, I was confused. I didn't know. Um, but then when I sat down and listened and thank God that I walked in with so much pain that like, when I heard that addict share their story, I only heard the one thing that I needed to hear. And that was that they use drugs, no matter what, there wasn't a reason. They just needed to get high. And I was like, holy crap. I'm an addict, right? Um, and so like, second question, what are some of those things that, ex that I experienced helped me to become a member? Well, someone else came along, shared the same thing, right? Another person who I looked at and I was like, there's no way this dude used drugs, right? Because I mean, maybe he was probably high because of the way he was dressed, right? And I tell my sponsor this all the time, right? Like, dude, you were wearing cargo shorts, Crocs, like a Marilyn Monroe shirt with a skull face and like a Bluetooth in your ear and you had glasses. Like none of that for me didn't coordinate well because I came from a background where like you got to match a specific color because you rep a certain side of the city that you're from. You know what I'm saying? So I'm like, I'm seeing all this dysfunction in this individual when in reality um, he shared the message of why I am still a member today because of what NA has to offer and that's the freedom of active addiction and finding a new way to live. When I heard that, I was like, you're telling me I don't have to be scum anymore. 
Like there's more to life than just being scum. And I couldn't believe that because I never met anybody in my life that actually said that and meant it from their heart. And that's how I, that's how I knew, you know, this program might work. I think so. Because for the first time in my life, I felt something inside. And uh, that was the hope. And so like, what can I do to help that newcomer make that choice for themselves? I do exactly what he does. And that's practice this program to the best of my ability. And I keep it that simple. So that's all I got for that question. Thanks, Alberto. Melissa. Yeah, I really like this question. It's like really powerful. So um, I'll start out with what was it like for me when I came to my first meetings? Well, um, I remember it was like strange because people were like laughing and stuff. And like they wanted to talk to me. And um, I wasn't used to either of those things unless, you know, like people would talk to me if they wanted something out of me, like a ride here, ride, you know, something like that. Um, but like I had this like weird feeling like these people actually care, you know, and I mean, no, I mean doesn't mean I trusted them because I really was suspicious. <laughs> but, you know, um, but just seeing people laugh was like a really big deal when I got here, like they're genuinely happy, you know? And like, I could tell from the stuff that they were saying that they had been the same places I had been. Like it talks about, I believe it's in the basic text, like, you know, they had, they may have not been to the same physical places, but those emotional places, those spiritual bottoms, like they visited as well, you know? And, and I could tell, you know, and now they're like happy and engaged with one another and care about serving it was just like the weirdest thing but I'm, I'm so grateful like I kept coming you know and um so some of the things that I experienced um and this is a lot pretty similar to the first part of question one but um for me this one stood out more because it's like the things that I experienced so some of the things that I experienced um that helped me choose to become a member so like I got introduced to NA this time because Basically, I failed a hair test in a family court case, you know, but that is not what made me choose to be a member. And like until this question, I hadn't realized that there was a difference. You know, I always say I came to NA, you know, because of the custody thing. But um, really and truthfully, when I chose to become a member, it was because, um, well, the seed was planted, right? Because I was, um, I was told if I wanted to see my daughter, this is what I had to do. And I wound up going back out um, in around October of 14. And um, very quickly, I hit some very bad bottoms, you know. And I came back because, you know, I did like eight months later, I did this drug that I said I would never do again. You know, it just spiraled. And, um, but what made me choose to become a member, I, it's kind of weird to me, but like I was coming to NA again, um, but I thought I could drink. You know, I had that one major reservation and I, because only because I was already coming to Narcotics Anonymous and putting my butt in the seat, did I really start to see the depth of my choices? Like, you know, instead of just drinking and getting a rot, like I was driving across town and like burned myself. And that's a whole nother story. Like a few times I burned myself. Anyway, and I got to see like how dangerous my lifestyle was even without drugs you know and that's when I really heard alcohol is a drug and it was then that I chose to become a member and I haven't used since 
you know, and um, I mean, I've just experienced like true freedom and the desire, the desire to use was lifted. I remember praying that last, the day after I had used and I'm like, just please, cause I had a horrible hangover, but <laughs> it was just so terrible. I'm like, please, I won't use again. And I know, like, I feel like we hear that said a lot, but I mean, I, that I really had a yearning desperation to live differently. Um, and it was all planted because of Narcotics Anonymous. And last part is what can I do to help the newcomer make that choice for themselves? So I try to live by this um, in the meetings and stuff because I know I was just so fragile when I came in and I always try to keep that in mind. But like the biggest thing that I try to do is make newcomers feel included and like try not to give unsolicited advice or you know, I mean, I do believe suggestions are good, but there's like a time and there's other times when I just need to shut up and listen, because even though I was scared, like, and I didn't know what to say and I beat up myself in my head for everything I was saying when I got here, like, I really just wanted somebody to listen to me, you know, and um, I just do my best to make the newcomer feel important because they are. That's all I got. Thank you. Thanks, Melissa. Sorry. Final comments? Yeah, you know what? I really like this question because I had a very uh, interesting first welcome to NA. Like the first day I went to an NA meeting, I was already at a halfway house. And the, the bartender at my favorite bar was taking a year clean. I was like, no fucking way. This dude can get clean. Dude, I can fucking get clean, you know? And, and that's what really like, to follow up on the second part of the question, that's what really made me want to like be part of this. Like, damn, like how how is this possible? You know, like this guy is staying clean and all that. And then what I try to do when newcomers show up is just, you know, I really just try to make the bar like not low, but really like connect with them in the way of like share with them not so much where I am today, more like remembering what I felt when I was new. So they could be that emotional bridge. Because when I remember when I was new and I heard the people with like over 10 years clean share, I was like, damn, that's so fucking far away. I don't know if I can make it that far. But, you know, but when I heard people share like, you know, yeah, when I was new, I couldn't sit down at the chair and I couldn't wait people to, for people to be quiet. And so I, I started connecting with that guy because I'm like, yeah, yeah, like this guy's like reading my mind. He knows what I'm feeling. Like that's exactly what I feel right now. So when, when, I, when newcomers show up, I try to experience the feelings that I had when I was new so they can have that emotional bridge and, and they can connect and realize that, you know, we're not that far apart, even though there's like a difference of clean time. And that you know, all it takes is just for them to keep coming back. So that's what I got. Awesome. Thanks, Zuri. Um, so this is going to wrap us up on episode 28 of the third tradition. Um, Hopefully everybody takes the opportunity this week to, to think about what desire means to them and about their first meeting, man. I still love thinking about my first meeting. I get goosebumps thinking about my first meeting. Uh, I don't ever want to forget it. So thanks everybody for joining us and uh, we'll see you next week and we'll keep diving into these questions. Thank you for walking with us on this journey. 
please reflect on what was discussed and apply to your life. Share this resource with anyone you feel led to do so.